Okay, good morning. I'm um, going to start, and you're going to have the best, keep the best wine till last. <laughs> it's okay, because he thinks I'm the best wine, and I think he's the best wine. So we're all all right. <laughs> um, you might not know the topic yet this morning, but the top, the, the, we're talking about brave communication. Okay. And um, the entire Bible is a story of brave communication. Jesus came and demonstrated brave communication. Um, Danny Silk wrote a whole, well, he's probably written more than one book about brave communication. And one of my favorite authors, Brené Brown, has certainly wrote quite a few books about brave communication. And so there's, it's a huge, huge topic And so we're just going to give you a little taster of what we mean by brave communication. And it all, um, it's in the context of, brave communication is, and this morning is in the context of maintaining relationships and maintaining our connection and honoring our relationships. So, I'm going to start off by um, explaining what we mean by brave communication. So, in order to maintain connection in our relationships, when there is difference of opinion and conflict, which, let's be honest, um, there often is, we need to be brave enough ourselves to express our opinion and our preferences but we also need to bravely receive the opinions and preferences of other people so how do we do that I mean for some of us um, expressing our opinion um, has to start with recognizing that we are valued that who we are and what we have to say is valuable. Um, through negative experiences, both John and I have, um, we have had feelings of powerlessness, which, and I mean by that, it's not okay to have a voice. That's how we felt. Um, but we're learning now. We're learning to make good choices and to be true to ourselves and to be true to the things that are important to us and to express those things, no matter what other people think of us. Okay, that's being brave. <laughs> because, you know, it takes courage and risk, and it takes being vulnerable to say something that might be a bit different from everybody else, and you're not quite sure how they're going to respond and receive it. I mean, at one point in my life... <laughs> I found disagreement and conflict extremely threatening. And that came out of my insecurities. Um, and those experiences taught me to keep quiet and uh, also to sort of gravitate around people that think the same way as I do because that felt safe to me. Um, everybody else that felt differently to me and had a different opinion were really scary 
So I surround myself with people that I knew would be, you know, nodding in agreement with what I felt and agreed with how I saw the world. But our goal, and I've learned this, our goal is not necessarily agreement. Our goal is understanding one another. If our goal is agreement, then we can slip very easily into persuading people to believe what we believe. And then that can develop into manipulation and control and pressure. And the need to be right sort of overtakes and we become disconnected. Fortunately, I am becoming (laughs) secure enough and have experienced being loved and am I am experiencing being loved so much that I am becoming brave enough excuse me turn the page brave enough to protect my connect to protect my connection with those that don't agree with me I now actually choose to you know relate to people to get friendly with people that don't necessarily think the same way as I do. And um, I'm becoming curious about their perspective. And more than anything, um, my goal in that is to love them, is to love them and not have the opinion or the difference um, come come into that at all. Um. You might have noticed, you know, in the last year or so that there's been some very strong political opinions flying around. And uh, <laughs> we, we also, in the church, we, you know, there's, there's always room for people to sort of think, well, they're not being biblically correct. And uh, so we don't all agree on, on, on such issues. But um, in Corinthians 13.9, it says... Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. So we need to recognize that we're all actually learning. And when we um, may come into conflict with, well, is she saying something or he saying something that lines up with what I think and have interpreted, or, um, you know my political status you know we 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 need to appreciate and recognize that we we are all learning we're we we don't know it all um and so what is important in those situations is to seek to understand and listen to other people's point of view. Danny Silk, I'll read you his quote. He says, I want, he says, what we, sh- we could be saying to people is, I want to understand your unique perspective and experience. I want to understand the truth of what is happening inside of you. And I want you to understand the same things about me. So, you know, we need to listen to people's hearts more than, in some ways, <laughs> even more so than believing 
or listening to their opinions or political opinions or, or whatever. Because who they are is far more real than that, what they believe in that season. I don't know whether you have noticed, but people change how they see things as they increase, have increased revelation, as they mature, they change. <laughs> and you might be arguing about something one minute, but ten, ten years down the road, you might be in agreement because you've both had this revelation. And, um, you know, so be patient with each other. Because people change according to the revelation they receive. So what brave com- communication requires us to be powerful people. And powerful people choose how they respond. And they take full responsibility for their actions. Powerless people blame and rely on others to make decisions for them. And to make them happy. Powerful people say, I will, I am, I do. And they can say yes and no and not waver from from that decision. We can tell other people what we are going to do. And not what they have to do. Powerless people say, I can't, I'll try. I've often said that myself, you know, I'll try to do something. When, to be powerful, I'm going to say, I will do what I want to do. Powerful people do not control others, but they control their own responses. Powerful people invite those around them to be themselves. They say, I can be around you as I am and you can be who you are around me. Powerful people have healthy relationships not based on needs. Because you need me then that relationship exists. That's not what a healthy relationship looks like. Powerful people respond with God's heart. They relentlessly pursue connection. They respond with love and they're not afraid of people's mistakes. They choose to be courageous and compassionate and generous. And they seek to cast out fear from relationships. They seek to affirm others you know, whatever differences, whatever opinion other peop- opinions other people have, they seek to say, I love you. You're really important to me. No matter what's been said, I love you. Brave communication confronts. We can generally sense when somebody disagrees with us, I think. I do. <laughs> um, and I think from experience, it's more hurtful and less honoring to actually walk away from that confrontation or that conflict and um, all that disagreement 
because I feel that it's more um, more beneficial for someone to say, "Look, I don't see the way I don't see the things the way you see things, <laughs> um, but I want to understand. I want to understand." And true conflict resolution requires um, a recognition of other people's needs. If we move away and start talking to someone else about how we feel misunderstood or how we think what they are saying is not biblically correct or whatever the issue is, then I believe it's more dishonoring to that person. So how do we confront? Actually, if someone's in disagreement with you, then what they need to hear and what they need is to be affirmed, as I said. They need us to protect them and to protect what we talk about them and not go to other people and say, well, I disagreed with them or whatever, you know. It's let's protect that person so that we are more focused in on building connection and maintaining that connection than bringing discord. So brave communication is also about being honest with each other and being honest about how their behavior is affecting our life. It isn't about judging or telling them they need to change. It means we have to communicate at heart level about our feelings and our needs because my needs matter and their needs matter too. Now, if you've read Danny Silk's book, um, Keep Your Love On, you will know that he's, he talks about the I message And the I message is designed to let people know how you're feeling um, and what's happening inside of you rather than you expressing your opinion. And um, we, some of you know, we've we've just moved house. And um, (laughs) I'm going to give you an example of an I message in a minute. Um, But we've we've had to make a lot of decisions. you know, we're still having to make a lot of decisions. And so we can get into some disagreements over those decisions. And the I message is not supposed to be saying to somebody else, you know, or, or, or criticizing them. But it's saying how you feel, what you're feeling, what that experience has involved, and what you need to feel rather than what you are feeling. <laughs> so um, there was a situation yesterday when um, we had to... Make, well, I was out. It was yesterday, wasn't it? Friday. I was out all day, and I came back, and John had made a, a decision without me making a decision with him. <laughs> and, of course, I, I sort of didn't agree with the decision he made. So... This is how John, well, I won't say how I communicated to him, but um, (laughs) this is how, 
This is how John should have replied to me, okay? According to Danny Silk. I feel belittled and inadequate when you dismiss a decision I have made out of hand. I need to feel that the way I make decisions, the way I make decisions is valid. So, <laughs> you can come up now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so John is going to explain why this is so difficult because Danny Silk is talking about all the time about this I message in Keep Your Love On. And it doesn't, it's not actually, I mean, we've been married for 44 years and we're still struggling with I messages, okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, brilliant. Hang on. Let me sort myself out. Yeah, brave communication. How easy was that iMessage? Can you imagine? How easy was that iMessage for me? It's pretty hard. Think about situations in, that you've had in your lives. How easy is it? What makes that kind of communication brave? You've got voices. What makes it brave? What might, what might that rejection look like? Yeah? 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 Sorry. Vulnerable. Yeah? It's vulnerable. It's incredibly vulnerable. I, you know, let's, let's be honest... You, the way we feel can get so strong, yeah, that actually I could say, I could have said, you know, I feel, I feel belittled, I feel inadequate in that situation. And you know what could have been, could have been uh, going on inside me? Blooming good job. That's what I wanted you to feel like. Yeah? And the prospect that actually that's what they wanted you to feel just makes the whole thing much worse. Yeah? Well, maybe they're right. You see, it's really easy to, you know, talk through that kind of stuff. It's really easy to say, yeah, that's how I should behave. But how easy is it to behave that way? So, so why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult? And it's because we're afraid of the rejection. It's because we're afraid of the vulnerability. And what I've, what I've learned, what I've come to understand, is that at the root of, of so much of this is the experience and the emotion of shame. 
Yeah? I see nods around the room. Um, let me be very clear what I mean by shame. Okay? There are, there are what, as, as a counsellor, I call constructive and unconstructive emotions. And, and there's, a, there's a constructive emotion, which I label guilt. Okay? And that's, that's the emotion that says, actually, I've done something wrong there. And I need to do something about it. Okay, and it's, it's an emotion which causes you to move towards other people. It's an emotion that encourages openness. But there's an emotion called sh- that I call shame. And shame says not, I did something wrong, but there's something wrong with me. I feel as though I'm useless. I can't actually do anything about it. It's an emotion that makes you want to hide and makes you want to withdraw. Do you know that experience? Yeah, that sense of there's something fundamentally wrong with me. I've got to hide away and not let people know. And I guess very quickly, most of what I want, want to say is about, so where does sh- why do we feel shame like that? What's the why is it so powerful? Why is it so hard to not feel it? And just maybe talk a little bit about ways out of it. And, I mean, good grief. As Mel said, Brené Brown has spent her entire career studying shame. Um, there's there's four, four books and more, um, which are brilliant. I mean, I absolutely recommend that you get hold of Brené Brown's books. Um, So this, probably this will leave you with more questions than answers, which is a really good thing. It's up to you what you do with the questions. Um, You can just dismiss it all out of hand and say, well, okay. Or you can use the questions as a spur on a journey. I mean, for me, actually leaving you with more questions than answers is very vulnerable. Because you might end up not agreeing with me. I won't have tied up all the loose ends so that there's no possibility of you not understanding. And for me, in my personality, that's really hard. Which is why tend to go on and on and on because I want to tie up all the ends. I want to make sure I've covered every base. But I'm not going to be able to do that. So that's okay. Where does all this come from? Because, I know, we've... Let's, let's be honest, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, we'll read from it. And we've got this long thing about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boastful. Love does not insist on its own way. And all, all, all of this stuff. Um, and you kind of know that's how you're supposed to behave. That's what love's like. But Jesus said, by this will I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. In other words, that's how you behave to one another. But it's a new commandment. It's something, that word new, 
It means it's, it's of a new kind. It's unprecedented. It's novel. It's uncommon. It's unheard of. This new thing that he's asking of us is something way outside of our experience. Way outside of, of what we would normally do. And it's like Paul says in, in Romans 7, isn't it? The thing I want to do, the harder I try, the more difficult it is to do it. The more work I put into changing my behavior, which is basically what he's talking about, the more work I put into it, the harder I try to do it, the worse it gets. Anyone else had that experience? Yeah, I have. Oh, there's not many hands up there. You know, I was going to say, maybe I should just put the mic down and go home because, you know, you lot are all sorted out. It's just me that's the problem. Um, what's going on? Where's it come from? And, and I want to very quickly, just thinking for a minute, take you back right to, right to the beginning, take you back to the garden, take you back to the man and the woman created in God's image, living a life of peace and harmony and love. You know, they, uh, they walk with the Father in the, the warmth of the day, and it's just, it's just lovely. And I, I, I had this, this experience once. Look at time, how much shall I say? Um, I used to go out for a guy in the States. He had a wonderful place that he lived, wonderful land. He spent, he'd done, he lived in Indiana and he created on his land an example of every natural habitat that exists in, in the state of Indiana. I mean, amazing. Um, and we, we went for a walk through it one day when I was over there with him and he was just telling me, you know, oh, look at, look at these. I planted this so, over here so the deer would come here. And th- these, are, these, are, these are boysenberries. These are really, really good. Just, just try one of those. This is really nice. And, 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 and then, look, over there, he said, that, that tree, that's, that's a black maple, he said. That's, that tree on its own is worth $20,000. I'd never sell it. But... And just as I was walking through it, I had this sense from Father, this is what it was like for the man and the woman in the garden, just walking with Father, just enjoying the creation, enjoying what he'd done. And this, you know, it, it sounds so formal, doesn't it? And God brought, brought the animals before Adam so that he would name them. But I just saw this, 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 this like, hey, I, I had real fun, Adam, making that one. What do you think we should call it? Giraffe? Hey, yeah, that's a good name. Let's call it giraffe. And, and this interaction between the father and, and son. Um, and this is how they lived. And then it's, it's kind of like father stops and, and he says, Adam, you see that tree over there? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't, don't touch that one. Don't eat that. That'll kill you. And, you know, it carries on. The tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil will kill you. Have you ever thought about that? Do you realize that you were never intended 
to know about good and evil, you were never intended to eat of its fruit. Because it'll kill you. Why does it kill you? It kills you because now you know, quotes good and quotes evil, and so you become the judge. You look at things, and this is good, and this is not. This is fair, and this is not. And you become the judge. What did, uh, what did Jesus say? Judge not, lest you be judged. Okay? If you become the judge, you bring judgment upon yourself. Because we're, we're, we're all acting like that. And so, we all live in fear of judgment. And that's the root of shame. Something wrong with me, I'm going to be judged. See, when they ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the very first thing they felt was shame. They were ashamed. And what did that shame do? It made them hide. It made them hide. It made them blame shift. Adam, what have you done? What have you done? Said Father God. Oh, well, this woman you gave me. And he shifts the blame. And the woman says, Oh, well, you see, the serpent... And I won't tell the usual joke I tell at this point. Otherwise, Merle will scowl at me. <laughs> but do you see, okay, shame was the first consequence of knowing, of the disobedience, of the knowing of good and evil. And so we have to protect ourselves. We have to hide. And you see, there's something very fundamental there, is that the accuser said to the woman, and the man said to them both, actually, because they were both there, this is what you need in order to be like God. In order to be like God, you need to know good and evil. In order to be like God, you need to become a judge. Because that's what makes God, God. Well, he's a liar and the father of lies, so we know that's not true. But that's, that's what got into our hearts. Yeah? And what got into our hearts is the idea that good and evil, right and wrong, fair and unfair, are the most important thing in the universe. As though somehow they're primary, they come before God, and God has to, God has to enforce them or something. See, yeah, it's not that there isn't such a thing as good and evil. God knows good and evil. 
But that knowledge is safe with him. That knowledge isn't safe with us. They're not, they don't come before him. God, God's character, God's nature defines good. Good is the expression of what he is. Evil is the expression of what he is not. This is what it, somebody once, I once understood. Um, the Ten Commandments, you know, the ten, the ten laws that we, even those, they are not about, this is, this is how you must behave, otherwise you're going. They're actually relational statements. They're saying, this is what I, God, am like. And so, walking with me means this is how you'll behave. If you stay in relationship with me, this is how you'll behave. Um, and I haven't got time to talk about it in terms of what um, Danny Silk talks about in, in terms of boundaries. But it becomes an issue of you can come as close to me as your behavior, as your heart is able to honor. Yeah, closeness in, in a sense, it, it, to be close to me, to know my heart, you have to be able to honor what's there. Yeah? You have to be able to treat my heart with the care and the love that it deserves. And, you know, we all have circles of closeness. You know, there's, there's certain people that, can be trusted with my heart. And there's some people who can be trusted to know a bit about it, and there's some people that definitely can't be trusted at all. And, but there is a place of closeness. And the same with the heart of God. There is a place of closeness. Okay, And that's what the Ten Commandments are, are, are about. What that also means, and you might find this a bit of a strange statement, but actually there is no issue in, in God of punishment. There is no motivation in God towards punishment. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not insist on its own way. God is love. God does not insist on his own way. Hmm, doesn't that just knock your theology sideways? Okay? But John tells us, perfect love casts out all fear. And we stop there. But it goes on and it says, because... Fear involves punishment. And he who fears is not perfected in love. There's no punishment. There's no place for a fear of punishment in love. If God is love, he's not, he has no motivation to punish. At the most fundamental level, God is about relationship. Okay, See, there was another tree. There was a tree of life. There was a tree that they could have eaten of that would have given them the same...
quality of life, because eternal life is not just about a length of days, but eternal life is about a quality of life. Given them the same quality of life. But understanding that there is something much more fundamental. What's more fundamental is relationship. What's more fundamental is connection. God is Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And sometimes I think, as, even as Christians, we kind of gloss over that because it's a bit difficult to understand. And we, you know, oh, okay. And, and there, are, there are people, um, and there are theologians, who will say, well, there is no practical relevance. No practical relevance to the fact that God is Trinity. But actually, it's the most practical thing there is. Because God is about relationship and has always been about relationship. Yeah? Always. And our model for relationship is the model of the Trinity. How do Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to each other? That is perfect relationship. If you want to know how to honor one another... How does the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit honor one another? And again, I'm not giving you a set of instructions. Okay, now this is what you have to do. Okay, because there is an experience of this. You see, this whole area of, of, of the Trinity becomes almost, almost intellectual. And the, the old theologians, they, they came up with a Greek word for it, which I, which I love, which is, which is the word perichoresis. It's almost untranslatable, but what it conveys is a sense, first of all, a sense of a dance. Okay? There is a dance, and it's a dance of self-giving love in the Trinity. There is a dance in which the Father honors the Son and honors the Spirit, in which the Son honors the Father and the Spirit. And somehow they are, their, their, their beings are completely intertwined. Okay? It's, it's described as um, a union of three persons in their one essence. It means the three persons are united, but without being confused or intermingled, each person identifies with the other gives himself to the other and sustains the existence of the other. Okay, this is the model for for our relationships. This is how God lives. And what is maybe most amazing is that what we are invited to in salvation is we are invited to join that dance. We are invited to become part of that dance, to become part of that relationship, to draw our life out of that life. You know, that's what it's all about when it, when it says that Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. That many sons will be invited into this family, be invited into this dance. That the father is seeking a bride for his son. Okay, that we get invited 
and included in the family. That we can draw our life out of their life. And drawing our life out of their life enables us to relate the way that they relate. With honour one for another. With self-giving love one to another. With openness and honesty and security one for another. I, I always just get absolutely blown away in the garden when Jesus, when Jesus says to the disciples, don't you realize I could ask my father for 12 legions of angels and he'd give them to me. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus could have said, okay, father, no, I'm not going through with this. Send me the angels, blast them and take me out. Beam me up, Scotty. And the father would not have loved him any less. The relationship would not have been broken. That's mind-blowing. That's absolutely mind-blowing. Think about that in terms of our relationships one with another. When you've asked somebody to do something and they bail out of it. When you're relying on them and they blow it. What's in your heart? What's in the Father's heart towards Jesus? But it's about us drawing our life out of that dance of the Trinity. And that means the thing that is most important for us is that we learn to be loved. The thing that is most important to us is that we learn to live out of the love that the Father has for us and draw our life out of that. It's not about trying hard and trying hard and trying hard and beating yourself up. It's about drawing life out of that relationship. So in the last couple of minutes... Okay. Just some clues, just some things to help. Okay. I just say, probably, if we have to draw our lives out of the life of the Trinity, we probably, it's not about reaching up and trying to do something, but it's like we probably need to soak more. We probably need just to allow the Father, to love us. We just need to stop. Stop trying to do so much. Just stop trying so hard and just allow the Father to love us. Don't imagine that he's making demands of you because he's not. He just wants to love you. And of course, the thing is, we have this self-protection thing with each other. We have the same self-protection thing with God. We can think that God is the judge. Okay, so let, 
very quickly, okay. Jesus said, the Father judges no one. That's a good one. I like that. He's committed all judgment to the Son. Okay. Jesus, when he's faced with the woman caught in adultery, who had every right to be stoned, says to her, well, I'm not going to judge you. And then later on, he says, actually says, I I don't judge anyone. If I did, my judgment would be right, but actually I don't. There is no punishment in love. He's not interested in judging us. He's interested in our experiencing love so that we are able to offer that love, so that we are able to live that love, so that we are able to honour one another, give ourselves to one another, live without shame because that love says, no, there's not something wrong with you. I made you. I love you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have come and taken up residence in your heart. Guess what? They rather like it there. They are happy and comfortable to be there in your heart, whatever you think about yourself, whatever's going on around you. There is no place for shame in you because there's nothing wrong with you as far as the father is concerned. You're a son and a daughter who is growing up. You know, my kids did all sorts of things that I wish they hadn't done. They didn't stop being my kids. I didn't cast them out. I recognized that they're learning and growing. And in some of the things I had, we had to teach them. You know, actually, that's not, really, that's not a really good idea. That's not really helpful. Might be more helpful to do it like this. Uh, learn to know your heart. There's all kinds of ways to, to, to know your heart. I haven't got time to, to go into quite a lot of them. Um, Understand, and again, I don't have time to explain, understand that your feelings that you have are never a result of what somebody else has done. Never. The feelings that you have are the result of what you believe about the situation, what you believe about those people. The feelings that you have are the result of the story that you are telling yourself about what's going on. And we all make up stories. We all create a story because we're wired for story. And we have to try and create something that, that's, that's meaningful around it. What you feel is a result of the story you're telling yourself. Maybe you're telling yourself the wrong story. It's really important. But honor your feelings. Don't cast them out. Your emotions are messengers that are coming to tell you about what's going on in your heart. Don't squash them down, but take the time to understand where your feelings are coming from. And allow Holy Spirit 
just to open some of that up. Allow Holy Spirit to say, well, actually, what are you really thinking is this. Actually, you reacted like that because there's this area of hurt in your heart. And let it be Relax. Relax. Uh, in the message, it's, it's, there's this lovely phrase. It says, relax into a life lived loved. Okay? Relax into the grace that God offers you. You have a father who loves you. You have a father who thinks you're great. And you know, it says... We love because he first loved us. That's not command. That's just a fact. Your chance of loving, your chance of keeping your love on, your chance of honoring, your chance of maintaining connection in relationships depends upon your experience of allowing God to love you. And that's my point to stop. Wow, thank you both very much. There's some amazing little nuggets in there, as well as some challenges. If anyone's got any questions, um, I'm sure John and Mel will be available at the end um, if you want to grab them and ask them anything. Um, I just need your help one more time before we leave, if that's all right. Um, You may have smelt some amazing aromas coming from the kitchen. Um, Heather's been um, really busy in there doing some cooking because there is some safeguarding training straight after this meeting um, and those people know who they are that are going to attend. Um, What we really need is for everyone to vacate this um, part of the building quite quickly because we need to set up with some tables and chairs. So um, I need six strong volunteers. Um, All you've got to do is put up a table. So could I please have six hands um, of people that say that they will volunteer? Jolie Thomas, thank you very much. Oh, Raina, two, Chris, three, uh, John, four, Micah, five, and Martin, six. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. so uh, next Sunday is Pit Stop at the Youth Hut in Lichmond Travers and uh, we meet back here in the evening uh, for 6.30 for coffee. Just to say as well, if you have never given your life to Jesus, if you've heard a lot of things this morning and you're thinking, do you know what, I think I need to talk to somebody I think I like what I've heard, I perhaps don't get all of it but I just really want to know Jesus a little bit more and I would love to talk to somebody and possibly just know what it is to become a Christian, to be connected into the Father a little bit more. If you would like to talk to someone, come and speak to me afterwards. I'll be here for five or ten minutes. I'd love to talk and pray with you. Okay, have a great week, everyone. Thank you very much.